Uh, we've got a couple of Bible readings this morning. Uh, the first one is Matthew 28, verses 1 to 15, uh, which you can follow along with me up on the screen behind, or if you want to go to page 1,553 in your Bibles. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. The second reading is from Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 to 20, and that's located on page 1788 of your Bible. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Thank you, Simon, and good morning once again. If you missed it before, I said my name is Carl and I'm the pastor here at Trinity Church Unley. Welcome once again because today is the most special day for us in the Christian calendar as we celebrate Resurrection Sunday together. It's the one day in the year above all others where we celebrate together Jesus' defeat over death and we celebrate new life and hope and joy 
and all that is to come in the kingdom of God. Over the last few weeks here at Trinity Church Unley, we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel together. And this weekend, we come kind of to the the pointy end of the gospel, the pointy end of Matthew's account of Jesus' life, gens with his death and then his resurrection. And I think Matthew wants us to be asking a question. It's a question we started asking on Friday, for those of you who are here. And that question is, who is this man? Who is Jesus? Because in a way, Jesus acted like a king, didn't he? You might remember earlier in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus riding into his city, riding into Jerusalem on the back of a colt. And the crowds of people who lined the roads laid their cloaks down on the road and they chanted, Hosanna to the Son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus spoke like a king. He spoke with great authority when he preached in the temple and in the city of Jerusalem. He spoke knowing what was about to happen. He spoke of a day when the temple itself would come crashing down. And he spoke about a major theme. And that theme is about the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of which he is the ruler, the king. I wonder if you've picked that up as we've been working our way through Matthew's gospel. I hope you have. And yet, despite all this talk of kingship and kingdom... As we get to this end of the gospel, Jesus seems to be a pretty ineffective king. He has no army. He has no chariots. And even in the face of fairly minor opposition, that's when the temple guards come to get him, he seems unable to defend himself. Although if you look at Matthew 27, you'll see that when Jesus is arrested, he says this, he says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? I think Jesus is saying here something like this, don't be deceived, it looks like I'm incapable of defending myself, but I have 12 legions of angels I could call upon if I wanted to. For those of you who are wondering, a a legion in the Roman army, was kind of the largest of their military units. It was ranged in size from about 3,000 to maybe 5,000 men plus horsemen. See, a legion was a massive unit of destruction. Jesus says here, I have 12 legions of angels at my disposal. And yet he allows himself to be handed over to those few temple guards and he allows himself to be crucified. What sort of a king does that? Who is this man that despite having 12 legions of angels he could call upon, willingly dies on a cross? I wonder how you might answer that question. Who is this man? I can think of three options as to how you might answer that question. There may be more, but these are the three that I thought of. 
Either he's a liar, that is, Jesus never really had 12 legions of angels that he could call upon. His whole story could have been lies, it could have been trickery, it could have been deception. Secondly, he could have been a fool, just deluded and confused, not really able to do these things. Or thirdly, Jesus could have been exactly who he said he was, the King of the Kingdom of Heaven, the Son of God, and his death on the cross was all according to the will of the Father. We're going to spend the next few minutes just kind of working our way through these options. If you've got a leaflet today, you'll see uh, some of that listed in your leaflet today. You might like to take some notes there if that's helpful for you. I want to begin by saying I don't think Jesus' death and resurrection are based on a series of lies. And the reason for that is I think there's just too much at stake for his followers for the lie to have been maintained. Some of you might have heard of a guy called Charles Colson. A quote of his has been floating around on Facebook this week. I thought it was quite interesting. I looked it up, looked into a little bit more detail about that. Charles Colson died back in 2012. And back in the 1970s, Colson was the shame of America for his role in the political scandal that was Watergate. From what I gather, he was essentially a liar and a thief. It was a long time ago now, you probably don't remember much about it, but think about how Steve Smith and David Warner have been treated in the past week, all the hatred and shame that's been heaped on those two people, and you're beginning to get a feel for what I think it was like for Charles Colson back in the 1970s. He was hated for the deception and lies that he was part of to do with that political scandal. Today, Charles Colson's probably more known for his dramatic conversion than for the way in which he lived his life. And he has special insight into lies, being a man who is so well known for being a liar. And this is what Charles Colson says about the resurrection. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved that to me. How? Because 12 men testified they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. And then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Everyone was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it was not true. He goes on to say, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world and they couldn't keep that lie for three weeks. You're telling me 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible, is what Charles Colson thinks. Who do you think Jesus is? Charles Colson knows that he's not a liar. He believes the apostles and those who saw the resurrected Jesus. What would it take for you today to recognize Jesus as the King of Heaven? The one who gave his life for the forgiveness of sins. The one who gave his life so that we could be reconciled to God. What would it take for you to recognize this man's teaching as the best way for us to flourish in this world and in the next? What would it take? Maybe you just think of Jesus as a fool. Not a liar, 
a fool. A number of years ago now, Meredith and I went to see the movie The Italian Job. And from that time on, Meredith's always had this really fond spot in her heart for a red Mini Cooper. I don't know if any of you have got that. Uh, it would be the most impractical car for us with our family of six. But despite this, every time one drives past, I see Meredith kind of watching it go past. We're never likely to own one, but they do have a kind of wonderful sense of adventure, don't they? And the mini car company seems to, uh, at this time of the year, put out some really interesting ads about some exciting new features that go along with the Mini Cooper. In 2016, I've got the, the ad on the screen behind me. In 2016, it was the Hipster Mini. You might not be able to read the writing on the screen, but the Hipster Mini featured a twin-deck cassette player, featured a fixed-gear drive system, and Instagram-filtered windows. But my favourite all-time feature of the Mini, that the ad that comes out at this time, is the VPL, or the Vertical Parking Locator. You see it on the screen here. This feature is said to enable a Mini to park vertically on the side of a building. Now, these ads for the Mini, they all come out on the same day every year, the 1st of April, today's date. You can't read it on the screen properly, but let me tell you that if you could read it, you'd be able to read in the last paragraph of this ad. You're directed for more information to Dr. You've Been Had, and you're told that this feature is only available for one day of the year, the 1st of April. Given today's date is April Fool's Day, it's worth us considering, isn't it, for a moment, was Jesus just a fool? Was he just confused and deluded about who he said he was? What would it take for you to believe that he's not a fool? For Christians throughout the ages, that question finds its answer in Jesus' resurrection. The truth is that if there was no resurrection, if Jesus had have stayed dead in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, then he was a fool and we would be fools for putting our hope and trust in him. But if he truly did rise from the dead, then surely he must be who he says he is, the king of that kingdom. It's like his, his validation or his vindication or the, the proof of his lordship rests in the great miracle of the resurrection. Indeed, I'd go as far as to say as the, the whole of Christianity hinges on the reality that Jesus' resurrection was not just a cute made-up story, but a real historical event. Without the resurrection, the faith of Christians world over is just misplaced. You could say it's foolish. Some of you might have heard of a pastor in the UK by the name of John Stott. He died a few years back as well. But he wrote this about the resurrection. I've got the quote on the screen. He says, What the resurrection did was to vindicate the Jesus whom men had rejected, to declare with power that he is the Son of God, and publicly to confirm that his sin-bearing death had been effective for the forgiveness of sins. See, according to Stott, the resurrection vindicates Jesus. It declares that he is who he said he was. But I don't just want us to take Stott's words for that today. Simon read to us earlier from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I want you to see in, in those words that the Apostle Paul 
similarly holds the resurrection in a, a similar important way. If you've got your Bibles there, 1 Corinthians 15 is on page 1788. And I want to just have a look with you at verse 12 to 14 to start off with. So 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 to 14. And I'll read that to you on page 1788. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. See, it seems that some in the town of Corinth that Paul was writing to had been denying the resurrection of other people. And Paul is addressing that. But what I really want you to see in these words is the central role of Jesus' resurrection in validating who he is. If Christ has not been raised, Paul says, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. Paul's just about saying, if he hadn't been raised, then Jesus is a fool and so are we if we place our hope and trust in him. That's because without the resurrection, death has not been defeated. Without the resurrection, how could we be certain that Jesus' sin-bearing death has been effective at forgiving our sins? But that's not where Paul stops, is it? Paul goes on in verse 20 to show us that he's absolutely sure that Jesus raised from the dead. Let me read those words in verse 20. He says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. The Apostle Paul is absolutely certain of Jesus' resurrection. After all, he's seen the risen Jesus with his own eyes. And earlier in this great chapter on the gospel, in verses 3 to 6 of chapter 15, Paul says this, he says, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the Twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Paul has seen the risen Lord Jesus with his own eyes, and so have so many others, including all the apostles that we read about, and 500 others that Paul knows of. And for Paul, that makes his faith real and not foolhardy. Who is this man, Jesus? Is he a liar? Is he a fool? Paul knows for sure that Jesus rose from the dead. And for Paul, he knows therefore that he is the king of the kingdom. Maybe this is kind of making sense for you, but you've been wondering, well, really was Jesus properly dead in the first place? Maybe another explanation of the events that happen at that first Easter time so long ago is that Jesus never really died properly on the cross. Maybe he survived that. And that's why so many people saw him after his death. 
You know, I think our gospel writer, Matthew, is kind of aware that this might be a concern for us. Matthew goes to great length in his gospel to show us that Jesus was really dead and that there was no foul play with Jesus' body. He does that by telling us about Jesus' burial. You see that in the later stages of Matthew chapter 27. If you've got uh, your Bibles there, flick back to Matthew chapter 27. It's on page 1552. And have a look at verse 57 of Matthew 27. It says, As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in its own, his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. Now, Joseph was a follower of Jesus, There's no way then that he's putting into the tomb Jesus if he's not really dead. If he had a sense life in that body, Joseph wouldn't have buried him. Instead, he takes him down from the cross, wraps him in a linen cloth. He would have touched that body. He had ample time and opportunity to check for vital signs. If there was life there, Joseph would have known it. Matthew wants us to know with certainty Jesus' dead body was taken down from the cross. It was wrapped and placed into a tomb. And not just any tomb either. Not a tomb that could have been mistaken for the next one. No, it was Joseph's own tomb, the one he had cut out of rock for himself. He places Jesus' lifeless body into that tomb, seals the entrance with a rock, And all the while, he's working under the gaze of Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. See, Matthew's second concern, I think, is to show us that beyond a doubt, Jesus' body wasn't stolen from the tomb. He recounts how the chief priests made arrangement for a guard to be placed at the entrance of the tomb and a seal placed over the entrance stone. And so Matthew has us at the end of chapter 27, knowing these things. Jesus is dead. He's been buried in Joseph's tomb. The women saw him placed there and the tomb is now under guard. The only way Jesus' body is getting out of that tomb is through an act of God. And that's what happens, isn't it? We're so familiar with this story that I think we probably miss some of the magnitude of what happens next. Just imagine you were there for a moment at what happens. Let me read to you from verse 2 of Matthew chapter 28. There was a violent earthquake. I mean, that enough is cause for surprise, right? For an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Matthew's shown us that Jesus was really dead 
And beyond a doubt, he's been raised. He's no longer there. Who do you think Jesus is? Do you think he's the one who died a kingly death for sinners and rose victorious? Do you think he's the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given? The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Roman church, tells us that he thinks of Jesus as the one who has been declared with power to be the Son of God because he rose from the dead. The Apostle Peter, in the book of Acts, tells us that he thinks of Jesus as both Lord and Messiah, Messiah being the deliverer or the king of God's people, and he knows that because God raised him from the dead. Let me just read a little bit of Acts to you. This is what Peter says. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And listen to this. He says, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, the Deliverer, the King of the Kingdom. If Jesus is the Son of God, if he's the King who died for sinners, pouring out his blood for the forgiveness of sins, if he's the one to whom all authority in heaven and on earth has been given, if he's the heir of all things, if he is both Lord and Messiah, how should we respond to him? I wonder what you think. How do we respond to Jesus? I think one really good way to respond is to act in the same way as the women who meet the resurrected Jesus. They fall at his feet and they worship him. Let me read to you from chapter, Matthew chapter 28, now from verse 8. It says, So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. I don't know how it happens. Matthew doesn't really tell us. Suddenly Jesus met them, it says. Matthew doesn't tell us how this suddenly happened or what it really looked like. It, it seems like there was something mysterious about Jesus' resurrected body, yet he's also clearly recognizable to the women. They fall at his feet and they worship him. Jesus tells them to go and gather the disciples and head to Galilee. And when the disciples get there, they too worship him. You'll see that starting at the bottom of page 1553 at verse 16, where it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Who is this man? Today, if you've seen Jesus through Matthew's eyes, if you've seen him as the king of the kingdom of heaven, the one who died for sin and rose to life, 
What response is there really other than to worship him? But perhaps this morning you're like some of those disciples who are still not convinced. Did you notice the element of doubt there in verse 17? Maybe they hadn't learned everything there was to know about Jesus yet. If you're interested in getting to know more about who Jesus is, I'd love to invite you to join us for a short course we're running in May called Simply Christianity. It's a course that looks into Jesus' life and his work and does so by reading through another gospel account, through Luke's gospel account. We'll be meeting on the Monday evenings in May, the sort of course where there's no pressure and no judgment and no question is off limits. It's a great opportunity for you just to look into the claims of Jesus. If you'd like to know more about that course, there are some cards out on the table out there. The course is called Simply Christianity. Uh, Just come and let me know if you'd like to join in on that at some stage this morning. Today we've seen Matthew claim that Jesus is the King of the Kingdom. If you're not sure about that claim, Simply Christianity would be a great chance for you to explore that in a bit more detail. This morning I hope you've seen the joy of the resurrection. It validates the King and all that the King stood for. Hope you've been encouraged to worship him this morning. In just a moment, we're going to stand together and sing these words as an act of worship. His song says, Who has felt the nails upon his hands, bearing all the guilt of sinful man? God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus, Saviour, risen now to reign. It's a great way for us to worship Jesus in song. But let me finish this morning by worshipping Jesus through a prayer. It's a prayer written by a man called John Chrysostom, who was an early father of Christianity, and it's called the Paschal Homily. It's a great prayer for us to pray together on Resurrection Sunday. It says this, Christ is risen, and you, O death, are annihilated. Christ is risen, and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is liberated. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, is become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. To him be glory and power now and forever and from all ages to all ages. Amen.